All right, if you're up on Facebook today, we put up that question pretty much the same one we put in the bulletin on Sunday. What do we do with believers who are close to us but also refuse to stop a habitual sin pattern? Should my relationship or fellowship with them change? Now, last week we looked at what a habitual sin is and saw that a habitual sin is not doing the same sin over and over again. Even though it would seem like that would be what, what it would be. But it's, an, it's adopting a lifestyle in which we are accepting of a sin as being normal and not listening to the, to the leading of God that something would be different. We can sin on a regular basis and as long as we ask for repentance in between, God will forgive us. It will hold us back. We will not be as strong of a believer as we should be. Our walk will be hindered. But our relationship it will be in a different place. But when we adopt a thing of a habitual sin as a lifestyle choice, it's a big term now, lifestyle choice. When we take that lifestyle choice and we decide that we are going to live in a situation in which the sin will be repeated and we will not be in a place to be repentant of it. That's when we have have caused a change. So, that's what we looked at last time. This time, we're going to look at what do we do when when we live with people who are in these situations. Now, our goal here tonight is not to deal with everyone who's in these type of sins, but to deal with those who are believers, call themselves believers, have been a believer, whether they are a believer still or not, whether they're still in the family, we'll, we'll look a little bit into that. But uh, most of the other ones we want to deal with. If you find a sinner who has picked up this, this uh, one of these lifestyle choices, one of these lifestyle sins, and has embraced that, how is that any different from any of their other sins? Because they don't repent from the other ones either. So we're not talking about them. They are sinners. They live a life of sin. That's what they do. Sinners sin. But when we're dealing with believers, believers are not supposed to produce a lifestyle of sin. So what happens when we have a believer who was following after the things of God and has gotten off on one of these lifestyle choices and is now living a life of sin but still says they want to follow God, is following God, or maybe they've uh, wandered away from it? Those are the ones we're looking at. Those are the specific ones we're looking at here tonight. Uh, now, we're, we didn't get into any of Paul's writings on, really, well, a little bit of it, but not, mu- not much on Paul. So we might have a third week getting into some of Paul's things on here. But we're looking at a lot of Jesus. I just think Jesus is just one of the best examples of, of anything to do. I, I just love, look, he's the first one I look to. Paul might be the second. But Jesus is the first one we look to. Now, I put this in your outline. Keep in mind, we don't know what's in people's hearts. I do not know what's in someone's heart. I can see what their actions are, but I do not know what's in their heart. So God does. We must stay in touch with God as to how to deal with a sinning believer because he knows their heart. And he may lead you one way with one person in exactly the same lifestyle sin as uh, there's another one, and he may lead you a different way with that one because he knows their heart. You don't. Now, if they tell you their heart, then you know it. The heart of a sinner can be known. And many times they reveal it to you. Not always, but many times they do. And if they do, then you know it. But if they don't, you may have an idea. But do not pass off your idea as factual. 
We may get into this on Sunday. This is kind of one of those things I've been thinking about, but you guys are, you know, Wednesday night crowd. We didn't get into some things here on Wednesday night we don't get into on Sundays. But, <laughs> but one of the things that we, we have to look at when we're, when we're getting things revealed to us in the area of other people, I've seen more Christians get off on this than probably anything else in that God is not the only one who reveals someone in sin. And this is where people get off. Because does the, is the devil familiar with your sin? Oh, yeah, he sure is. <laughs> He's very familiar with your sin. Can the devil reveal to Christians the sin of a believer? Absolutely. What would the purpose of Satan revealing the sin of a believer to another? Destruction, problems, dissension, all manner of evil things. So if God does not reveal a sin of a believer to you, but the devil did, is it important that you know who revealed it? But see, a lot of Christians just, just get on the side that, well, I just, if it's true, I just need to deal with it. <laughs> That's wrong. Whoever said you had to deal with every truth or that every truth must be dealt with is wrong. Is very, very wrong. How long was David in sin? Quite a few months, wasn't it? And one sin led to another sin. You deal with that wrong, you mess up a whole nation. God dealt with it in a way. Now, he's first trying to deal with it with David, and David was resistant to it. How do you know that? Because that's what God does. He first off deals it with us. The purpose of God bringing a sin of a believer to any other Christian is for the purpose of restoration. That's his purpose. The purpose of the enemy is to disrupt, to cause dissension, to cause problems. Just because something is wrong does not need to be, needs to be brought out, brought out into, into the light. I cannot tell you how many sins of people in church I have dealt with privately. I would not even try because, you know, it's none of your business. I don't consider it my business until they make it my business or until God tells me I have to do something to, with it. It's not my business. I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't need to do that. But eventually, sometimes come to light. And when they come to light, then we have to deal with them. So how do we deal with believers that are caught up in these lifestyle choices? And some of the ones you brought up last time, you know, homosexuality. Fornication, two people living together, things of that nature. Adultery, uh, drunkenness is some of them. Uh, and there's other, other ones in the list as well. How do we deal with this? What are we supposed to do? Because the problem that most believers have is, you know, when I see that brother or sister, what am I supposed to do? And we feel like I have to be uh, God in this situation and I need to make sure that they know they're sinning. <laughs> All right. Of all the... Of all the traits, we're going to give you three traits of God. You tell me which one you think is most important. These are, there's more to traits than this, but these are some of the more prominent ones that we see in, in the Word of God. Love. Mercy. Ju uh, justice. Which of those is the most important to God? One of them is. But what is the most important thing to God? <laughs> I know you don't want to <laughs> you don't hit the wrong one and... 
And uh, I hear mercy a few times. Mercy is a good is a good guess, but it's not it. It's love. God, as to his nature, is love. That is the number one thing with God is to walk in love. Mercy is what you need when when you fall from love. (laughs) You need mercy from God. And justice is a last resort. God will pull out justice, but it's a last resort for him. He'd much rather operate in mercy and far prefers to operate in love. Mercy is second to love. He prefers love. He can do a lot more in love. He can bless you. Mercy, well, all right, we're going to tolerate this. (laughs) And I'm not going to wipe you out. (laughs) That's not as good as love. (laughs) We'd rather be in, in love. If God, if that is the most important trait to God of those three, what should be the most important trait for us? Mercy. And why is it that Christians keep feeling compelled to the side of justice? And we do. We oftentimes feel compelled to the side. If we see a brother or sister fall off, we feel like we must bring that to judgment. I'm not talking about you folks here. I'm talking about the church overall. Church overall, what happens if we see a, a person in ministry, if we see a believer, if we see a church member, if we see them fall into sin, what do we want to do? Uh, let's kick them out. Let's not like, bring them over to our house anymore. Should we talk to them even? Things like that. But love is where we need to, to focus on. All right, we've got a scripture I want to show you with that, but let's first off get into this one. We looked at this last time. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So, when we look at people that are caught up in these sins, how lost are they? Now, he says here, says it twice, that um, these folks will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right? Does that mean they're unsaved? No. It means they won't be inheritors of the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and, and the like. Excuse me. <clears throat> of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, again, we're getting in habitual sins. We're, we're practicing. We're doing these things over and over again. We're not repenting in between. Some of you have done some of these things and have repented. We're not talking about that. In chapter 3, verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we've been made heirs. Now, what did he say that these people would not do? They would not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, 
does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The purpose of being born again is to be an heir. But Paul is very clear in this. Just because you are born again and a child in the family of God does not mean that you have all the rights and privileges of an heir. And what he says is that you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So I'll put it to you this way. You can be a child in the kingdom and never come into your inheritance. Never come to a place where the inheritance can come to you. Which would mean that your Christian walk and, of course, your, king, your walk in the kingdom to come will not be as good. Where is it, where is the line for a believer who has put themselves in a childlike relationship with God because of their refusal to obey the things of God and put themselves into sins that we would call habitual sins, lifestyle choices, lifestyle sins, sins that keep them into sin, sin, sin with no repentance in between. When does that person go from being a child to a slave of sin? That has to deal with the heart. And that's God's issue. But the more you flirt with habitual sins, the more you cause your heart to be put into a hard place, to become hard to the things of God. And I would, I would venture to say that a person who was in the, in the, in the family of God who continues to walk in habitual sins that make them harder and harder to God will not know the difference when they cross the line and lost their salvation. I believe that even at that point, they won't care. But it is possible to happen. Now, I, of course, I, I came out of a Baptist college, very Calvinistic. I do not have never believed that once saved, always saved. I believe that your name can be blotted out of the book of life, mostly because it's written in the Bible that way. Blotted, not erased, not never been there, but blotted out of the book of life. God's going to have a book up there and it's going to have some blots on it. People have been scratched off. They were there, scratched off, blotted out. It was not God's intention for that to happen. God didn't want that to happen, but they made certain choices and made certain, went certain ways, and that's just not the, the thing we should do. Now, here's the problem with these, these types of sins. First off, I believe a voice spirit that tells me that what is wrong in the word is right for me. And every single person who's involved in one of these habitual sins that is described in Corinthians, one of these lifestyle sins, has accepted a voice that says, it is all right for me to be gay. It is all right for me to be in fornication. It is all right for me to be in adultery. In fact, they'll even go to the point and say, God brought this person to me. And look at the hand of God in this. You may even be able to go to him and say, that person's not saved. They don't worship God. Well, they do in their own way. Or God is using me to, to bring them to the things of God. Christian missionary day. Of course, all that sort of stuff is, is going on. And, 
How many have ever um, watched uh, Charles Stanley on, on TV? I hardly ever get to see him anymore. Saw him just recently. Wow, he got old. Man. <laughs> but he's still out there preaching the gospel. He's a good guy. I, I, I enjoy him. But one of the best examples I ever saw on missionary dating was done by him. And if you can picture, how many of you ever watched him on TV? All right, get a visual picture, if for those who can, visual picture of him on his stage. Because he's had the same stage ever since I've known the guy. He's got that same stage. And he's got those steps. And so what, picture him up on the top of that step where he preaches from and see him reaching down. And he said, this is what missionary dating is. Is that we are on one level and they are on another. And our idea is that we reach down and pull them up. But they can't quite reach us, so we take a step down. And they still can't quite reach us, so we take another step down because we're trying to reach them and pull them up. And they still can't quite reach us, and so we take another step down. And we can't quite... I think he's got five steps on his, uh, his platform or something like that. And so eventually he gets all the way down to the bottom, and he says, the thing we don't realize is we are now on the same level as they are. And we didn't pull them up. They pulled us down. It's one of the best examples. I've, I was years, that was, I think 20 or 30 years ago, I saw him do that. <laughs> Stuck with me. It's like, man, that is, whew, that is good. But that's, what, that's the problem that comes in. But you see, that voice comes to us and begins to say, this is okay. You want to live with this person? Go ahead. You want to you live in a homosexual relationship with this person? Go ahead. You want to say that you, you want to get a, um, become married to this person even though you're both men, both, both women? Go ahead. God's okay with that. They hear this voice and it's telling them that God is okaying their lifestyle sin. That's what that list is. It's a list, it's a list of lifestyle sins, drunkenness. It's a lifestyle sin. We do it on a regular basis. We don't repent in between because this is who I am and God's okay with it. So I believe a voice or spirit that tells me what is wrong and the word is right for me. First John, remember, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. So I be, this is what it does. It, I become detached from my rock or my anchor. Remember the story that Jesus gave, the parable that Jesus gave of the two people who built their house one built it on the rock and one built it on the sand. The one who built it on the rock was he who heard the word and did it. The one who built it on the sand is the one who heard the word but didn't do it. And the storms came. Storms came on both houses. It is not a question in that story where the storms will come. It is not a question in that story that that person did anything to bring that storm on. It is just the thing that you are there. Storms will come. When the storms come, the one who is built on the rock, the house stands. The one who is built on the, on the sand, it falls because it's not built on the rock and it washes it away. So this is the purpose of the enemy. Let's get you off of the rock. How are we going to do that? We've got to get you to believe a spirit that will lead you against the word, but you think it's God. And that will get you to not do the word that you know to do. And if he can get you as the enemy, if he can get you to stop doing the word that you know to do, 
He's eroded your foundation. Your house is still standing. But he's eroded your foundation. Then the storm comes. And then we got a problem. So when the storm hits, what's holding me down? Nothing. And the word of God, the, uh, the word that Paul uses, he says the faith of some has become shipwrecked. They sank. They, they, they went down. That's the purpose of the enemy. He wants to get you pulled out. He wants you to get over to this, this area. Now, when we see people, and we know that they know the word, uh, that the word does not um, give them a license to go out into a homosexual lifestyle, fornication, adultery, drunkenness, all the other things that are in there. We know that they know the word of God says not to do these things, but they're out there doing them. Their foundation has been eroded because they're not doing what they know to do. And they're doing what the word of God has said not to do. And then a storm comes. What happens when a storm comes to the person whose house is built on the sand? Well, it falls apart. And when it falls apart, what do we as believers want to do? Now, here it all depends. All depends on how close you are to them. <laughs> does not matter what their sin is. It matters how close you are to them. If the person who's involved in the sin has gone off their way and you're not very close to them at all, you say, well, where did God warn them? <laughs> right? But if there's someone that's close to us, there's someone in the family, um, somebody in the church that we got real close to, if there's someone that's close to us, we feel like I need to help them out in the storm. And so we answer the call. They're in the storm. They got trouble. I need to go over there and help them. So we go over and we help them. What are we doing? <clears throat> we are allowing their storm that took them down to affect us. It wasn't supposed to affect you because you're in a foundation. And it didn't affect you because you're in a foundation. But you decided to take what you got and help them out. See, this is the real tough part for us to do. It is really hard for us to stand on the sidelines for people that we have a relationship with, for people that we love, while they go through what the storm did. Real hard. Real hard. But you see, we're not following the Spirit of God. We are following our emotions, which will always get you into trouble. So I put this in your outline. As believers, guilt often motivates us to clean up after the storm. Not God, but guilt. We don't like to see that. All right. Now, we haven't covered this in a while, but we're going to go back over to Luke chapter 15 because this is Jesus teaching us on how to deal with lost people. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. How many are keeping up with your daily reading? All right. How many have a little bit of catching up to do? It's all right. That's all right. You'll get caught up. Especially right now. Luke has some long chapters in it, right? I mean, some of them are twice as long as... <laughs> he's got some long chapters still. That's all right. Just keep on going. Eventually, you're going to get to some real shorter ones and, and you'll be, be doing fine. But as I told you, I'm re every year we do this, I read through a different translation. I've already got next year's lined up, which one I'm going to read next year. But this year is Weast. I'm reading through Weast. Drives me crazy on some of these things because uh, he refuses to use certain words and he uses a paragraph instead. Certain <laughs> words. Anybody know what Weist uses for the word uh, hypocrite? <laughs> I think Keith does. 
Oh, no? All right. It is not a single word. In fact, it is uh, quite a long sentence. And he uses it every single time that hypocrite is used. So just think of some of these passages where Jesus says, hypocrite, 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 hypocrite. He does not use that word one time. Every single time he puts something up on there like actor on life stage who, who does things. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's something else. I almost want to read past it and say, all right, I understand you're talking about a hypocrite here. But I was reading through this and I thought, oh, this is going to be good for us on, on Wednesday night. Here how, this is how Weist puts verse 1 in Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and those sinners stained with certain vices and crimes were continually crowding close to him for the purpose of hearing him. I like the way he put that. And he doesn't just put it there because it sounds better. He actually pulls this out of the, out of the Greek. And, and, but sinners stained with certain vices and crimes. We're talking about lifestyle sins here. They were continually crowding around close to him for the purpose of hearing him. Which means that sinners felt comfortable around Jesus. Should we follow that pattern? Verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, sinners are comfortable around Jesus. Religious leaders are not as comfortable around Jesus. Which group would you rather be in? Trick question, neither. <laughs> you don't want to be in with the sinners, <laughs> but you also don't want to be in the religious leaders. You want to be amongst those that like the disciples that are following after Jesus' words. But sinners were comfortable around Jesus. So he goes on and in verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So we have the lost, lost sheep. Well, you know, sheep need a shepherd. This particular sheep wandered away. Straight away. On, it did it on its own. Followed after something. Saw something. Didn't hear the shepherds. But whatever it was. The reason for the sheep getting lost is not important. It's not in the, not in the passage. It just wandered off. What is in the passage is the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one that was lost. To bring the one back to the 99 so he now has 100 again. And then calls everybody up, hey, rejoice with me, found the sheep, brought it back. And it was, it was safe. Well, of course, Jesus is the great shepherd. This parable shows us the work of Jesus towards the lost, but it also should show us our work towards the lost. That when we have people that are lost, regardless of whose fault it is, we need to pursue them. And we need to go after them. Isn't that what he's teaching us? And then he goes on, he has another parable. These are all three given in, in succession. I didn't put this in my outline. I'll have to put this from the screen. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in this one, we have the woman, we have the lamp, and the coin. Now, the coin was lost. If you lose a coin in your pocket, is it the fault of the coin? Coins do not lose themselves. Whose fault is it that the coin was lost? It is the woman's. In the story, it's the woman here. Why is it a woman? The woman more often in the Word of God and in Jesus', uh, Jesus thing, uh, teachings and certainly Paul's, the woman represents the church. So the church lost a coin. Then the, the, the church, the woman, lit a lamp. What does a lamp represent? Going back to our, our verse there. Uh, verse, having ten silver coins, he loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Well, in this day, what is a lamp powered by? Oil. That should make it real simple for you. The Holy Spirit. So the church teams up with the Holy Spirit to get those who were mishandled by the church. Have you ever heard of people, lost people, who were mishandled by the church? What should we do about them? Go get them. And use the help of the Holy Spirit to figure out how to help them to get them back. That's what we do. So we've got two examples. One is the sheep, no fault of their own, just wandered off. Then the coin is mishandled by the woman. She lost one of the ten coins. Now we go on to the, to the third one in verse 11. Let's uh, read that one together. This one is certainly very well known. But just know those first two were part of a trilogy of parables, all at dealing with the lost. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. What does that tell you when it says he had two sons? Two heirs. These are, sons are used as mature people. These are not immature. These are mature people. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. Which means, according to Jewish custom, he has already reached the age of accountability. Or as, the, uh, as the, uh, Paul, the passage we were looking at, the adoption of sons. There is no child in the kingdom of God who is adopted into the family. Not a single one. Every single one is born into the family. What Paul is talking about is the huiophysia, the son placing. The placing of a child into the position of a son. Anybody ever tells, tries to tell you that we're adopted into the family is wrong. We are not adopted into the family of God. We are born into the family. Don't ever swallow that. Because that will lead to all kinds of other things that you don't need to have going on in your life. You are born, you are a legitimate son. You are born into the family of God. And as a child of God, you are son placed into the position of an heir. So these two are already in that position of an heir. Which means there's a certain, certain amount of maturity to them. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. 
Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Nice Jewish boy out there with the swine. That makes real good sense there. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. So he's painting a good picture for Jewish people here. This is a story to Jewish people. This little Jewish boy is so hungry, he wants to eat what they're feeding the swine. How clean, by Jewish laws, do you think that is? But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet. Now he's, he's saying his rehearsed line. Before he left, he made, this, he made this rehearsed line. This is what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he gets to his father, and his father sees him far away off, runs up, his father runs up to him, and he says, he's going through his line here. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he got cut off. He didn't get to say the rest of it. Why? Because the father. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Is his father listening to him? (laughs) He had his father by showing up on the road, on the hill as he came over. He had his father because he came home. He didn't really need to say anything at all. But you see, in the son's mind, he's, He's rehearsing. This is Jesus' story. Every single part of this story is important because Jesus made it up. He made it up to be exactly the way he wants. All the details he wants are right there. The details he doesn't want are not there. There is no distracting details in this story. Every detail is important. He was cut off. The father cut him off because that's how Jesus told it. But he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father cuts him off. You don't need to say anything more. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Well, so much for the, the plan of the son. But it got him to come home. He came home basically on false pretenses. He thought his son or his father would make him a hired servant. Father had no intention. It was not in the nature of the father to make a son a hired servant. It's not the way he goes. I don't want to hear that. We're not, you're not becoming a hired servant. doesn't even let it come out of his mouth. It came out of his mouth when he was in a far country, but not here. But the father sees him a far way off. A far way off, he sees him. How long had he been in the faraway country? Long enough to spend all his money for a famine to come upon the land 
for him to run out of food and begin working for this pig farmer. That's a lot of days, months. It might have even been years. We don't know. The shepherd did what? Went looking for the sheep. The woman did what? Went looking for the coin. The father stayed home. Which of those three lost is loved the most? Which of the three lost items is loved the most? It's not in the story, but do you you need to be told? A sheep? A coin? Or a son? So the one that is loved the most by not a shepherd and not a woman who had coins in her in her purse, but by the father, he stays home. What's he doing every day? Looking. Because as soon as that son came became visible, the father ran to him. He is always looking, anticipating his return. What's Jesus teaching us here? When you're dealing with sons, when you're dealing with mature ones, ones that you love with everything, every ounce in your being, and they wander off, stay home. You look for them. You watch for them. But they need to make that move to come home. You stay right where you are. Every emotion on the inside of you is telling you, go out there. And tell them. And what's he do? He stays home. And he watches. When he sees the son coming, he doesn't stand there and say, let's see what he has to say. Doesn't do that. He runs to him. And he hugs him. Before the son can even say anything, he's hugging on the son. He's loving on the son. Calls his servants. Bring some stuff. Robe, ring, fatted calf. Let's go. We're going to be making merry. We're going to be having some fun. Because my son, as he puts it, this is how the father put it. This is Jesus making up this story. Every single word is important. My son who was dead. My son who was dead is alive again. He was lost. But he didn't go looking for him. This is the thing that we'll do a lot of times, folks, is when we have people that are close to us and they have wandered into a habitual sin, is we go looking for them. We try and tap into the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I'm going to take you as my lamp and I'm going to go out there and try and find them. That's not the role of the Holy Spirit here, is it? How is it that the Son came home? He came to himself. When you are dealing with a mature believer, someone who knows the word, and they have fallen off into habitual lifestyle sins, there is really nothing you can say until they come to themselves and they say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Until they come to that place, you can't help them. You may want to, Do you get from this story that the father wanted to help him? I I get that story. I get that from it. I get that he wanted 
to help him. But he knew, mm -mm, can't do it. Do you think that the father would have liked to talk some sense and says, look, you don't want to do this. You don't want to cash in all your stuff and go. But he did it. And he let him go. It's a hard thing for us to do, folks. Real hard thing for us to do. If the son would have come home for a visit, do you get the idea that the father would have shunned them? I don't get that idea either, but he didn't deal with that part of it. He dealt with the son coming home after he repented and after he came to himself. All right, we've got a few more scriptures here to take a look at. <clears throat> the son came to himself. I put this note in my outline anyway. Wandering from the father is like being out of your mind. <laughs> now this son deliberately and willfully sinned against the father. Understand that. This son deliberately and willfully sinned against the father. He went against the father's will and became lost on his own terms, on his own decision, by his own power. No one else was involved. He did it himself. Now, what restored him? Father, I have sinned repentance it's not perfection a lot of times as Christians we want to say well when you perfect that in your life when you get that taken care of <clears throat> that's not it it's repentance now we don't have the rest of the story I don't put the rest of the story in here you can go back on and, and check it out later on but the rest of the story is about the, the brother the older brother we know that because he is the younger brother so he is the older brother. Should he not be more mature? He is one that had not left the will of the Father. He is one who never squandered his inheritance. That's the older brother. He comes in late at night. The party is going on. Which tells us that the father sees the son as soon as he comes over the hill. The brother is out in the field does not even notice that all this preparation is being made for a party. Does not even notice that all the merriment is going on until he comes in from the field. Then he looks around and he asks the servant, what's going on? I can remember he's so happy, having fun. <laughs> he is not aware that the brother has come home. And when he finds out that the brother comes home, what's his attitude? I am not going in there. I'm staying out here. This is not right. We should not be killing the fatted calf. We should not be making merriment. This guy went off and did stuff that he shouldn't do. And here we are all having a party. So the father hears about it. The servants come in and say, You're, <laughs> the older son, he's staying outside. He ain't coming in. <laughs> you don't want to come in? He's mad. What's the father do? Goes out to the, leaves the younger son, leaves the merriment, goes out to the older son, the grump. He said, Never killed a fatty cat for me. Never made a party for me. I have friends. I would have loved to have my friends come over and kill a fatted calf and we have a party. You never did that for me. But this son of yours, so he calls him, this son of yours, and he makes some assumptions. Spent money on harlots. Riotous living. That's never really said. He just said he went out and Spending it in a prodigal way, 
different from how his father. We don't know that that was it, but this is what the son's thinking. That whole time that son's away, what's he thinking? He's out there having a party. He's out there in Sin City. He's out there doing stuff he should not be doing. Glad I don't do those things. He's not watching for the brother to come. He don't care. that He's probably happy. I'm glad that guy's gone. And then he hears that he's back in. He's probably mad. Don't want him around. Here he is. He already got his inheritance. The father says, Why are you upset? Everything I have. Look around. Everything I got, it's all yours. Fatted calf, if you wanted it, you could have killed it. It's all yours. Gave it all to you. He's mad. This is how a lot of Christians deal with people in habitual sins. Is that we feel we have to shun them. We have to be angry at them. We have to show them that they are sinners. This is how a lot of the church deals with people who were believers who are in habitual sins, is that we feel like I have to be the one to pinpoint their sin. Who do you want to be like? The older son or the father? Don't be like the younger son. Don't be like that. But the other two people here, we got the older son. He did what the father, he did the will of the father. All the days of his life, he did the will of the father. Every day he got up, went out into the field, did what the father wanted to be done out in the field, came in, worked hard. Every day. Every day. Never complained? Which one do you want to be like? The older brother? Or the father? Hmm. I want to be like the father. But if we're all acting like the father, how is the younger son going to know he's missing it? I mean, right? long time ago when we did the, I put this in the notes for you, that brother saw the wayward son as a sinner. The father saw him as a lost son. That was an important revelation for me. Are we looking at people who have fallen from the word of God? Do we see them as sinners? Or do we see them as lost sons? First John chapter 3, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word and, or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. What is it that John says condemns us? Is it the Father? Is it the Holy Spirit? It is what? Our heart. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, We have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is the commandment, that we should believe the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. And as He gave us commandment, now He who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. How do we know that we're His? Keep His commandments. What does the devil try and do when he gets believers into habitual lifestyle sins? Gets them to stop doing what God said to do. Which is causing that severing between his spirit and them. Because they're turning off what the spirit would say. Now your heart is what condemns you, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not condemn. The Holy Spirit may convict and may bring to light things, but it does not condemn your, your heart 
is what brings on that condemnation. Sometimes your heart brings on condemnation for things that God is not bringing you into. And that's why he says God is greater than our heart. Just because your heart does it doesn't mean that it's necessarily right. Take it before the Word of God. Does the Word of God say that I should be guilty of, or change this? Then, then go ahead and change it. But the, the enemy is trying to get that severing from the Spirit of God to the believer. Then, after we read this verse, we go into the verse we were very familiar with, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are of God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, there are spirits out there that are trying to not just lead you into something saying that God has said to go this way, but trying to lead you in directions that will sever the relationship between you and God. And as a believer, we're going to come into Christians who have gone in the way of adultery, gone in the way of homosexuality, gone in the way of fornication, drunkenness, and all the other things that we saw in the list in 1 Corinthians. They've gone out and they have picked up habitual lifestyle sins. If every time you see them, you bring them into condemnation, you are trying to take on the role that their heart is supposed to do. When did the son come to the realization of his sin? When his heart brought him around. When he came to his senses and he said, I'm go- I'll go to my father and I'll say this. We need to let mature sons come to that place because until they do, they're not going to change it. They're not going to change it. Now you listen to God. God may tell you some things to say. <clears throat> listen to him. He's going to tell you some things to say. Don't, you don't have to condone the things that they're doing. If they want to talk about their adulterous relationship, you can simply go out to them, look, you know what I think about that relationship. You don't need to be bringing it up to me. And let them know. They'll stop. <laughs> Why do you have to sit there and listen to it? Now, when you have the sinners coming around with Jesus, do you think they are talking to him about their sin? What did they come around him to, to, to do? To listen to him. You are not here to listen to sinners. They come to you to hear what you have to say. So what you have to have to say has to bring light, love, paint a picture of a bright future, of a loving God, of a way back. This is the kind of things that you should be bringing out and what you have to say. Jesus' words were, they, he was painting a picture. God loves you. God wants to bring you out of this stuff. God wants to, to, to take you to, to new places. When the woman with the, or not the issue, when the woman at the well, when she comes to Jesus, what does Jesus say? Oh, it's you. I heard about you. God told me some things. And I've got a lot of good things to say to you, but I want to hear some repentance first. He doesn't do that, does he? Now, he doesn't even point out her sin. She says, I have no husband. He says, that's right, you don't have a husband. And the person you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't condemn her for it. He just said, the person you're living with now, I didn't tell you I was living with anybody. How do you know that? <laughs> you see, God revealed some things to him. But Jesus was able to reveal it in a way that wasn't condemning. And she got excited. She went back and she went back and said, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And they got excited and they came out. 
and they heard. And all these sinners wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. So what you've got to make sure is that the things that you have to say are things that sinners want to hear. Otherwise, sinners aren't coming around. Sinners are interested in the light. They are interested in the truth. You just got to find out what truth they're ready to hear. And the Spirit of God will lead you in that way. You got people that are living in habitual sins. It is very difficult for you to bring them into the light that that sin is wrong because they have already excused themselves. But you see, the thing that happens with these people when they're caught up in these habitual lifestyle sins is that light cannot get in in their sinful area anymore, but it also that it begins to expand and light's not getting into other areas and other areas and other areas. And the light's not able to get through. And very gradually they're getting used to darkness. And so when you come in and you bring the light of the gospel in a whole other area and their eyes can see it, I remember when I used to see this stuff. I remember when I could see that kind of stuff myself. Boy, I've gotten away from it. Tell me some more. They want to hear some more. And they want to hear some more light. They keep going the way they are. They're going to get more and more in the darkness. More and more the things of the world. They're going to begin to push away Christians and they're going to begin to embrace more unsafe people. What kind of things are coming into, into their life now? You need to be an influence on those people that you love. You need to be a loving influence on those people that you love. You don't condone the sin, but you don't have to to make them like you. They know what they're doing is wrong, but you don't have to keep pointing out to a drunkard Man, you're drunk again. I thought you weren't going to do that anymore. You don't have to keep pointing that out to them. You can begin to paint a picture of heaven. You know, I was reading the Word. And you know what it says about heaven? And you begin to tell them something beautiful about heaven. And you begin to whet their appetite to, oh, that sounds good. My life is, they may even open up, my life is hard difficult. I don't like life. I want to die. That's why I'm drunk all the time. Well, you know we serve a God. He wants to help you through these things. You see, the storms have come and they've taken away what they have. It's not up to you as a Christian to resupply what the storm took. Don't do it. It's not up to you as a Christian to resupply what the storm took. It's up to you to to point them to the light. To let them see gospel is out there. And if they see the revelation that you walk in, they'll probably be remembering the revelation I used to walk in. Remember the words of the son? My father's servants live better than this. It was a revelation to him. He was remembering some things. I remember being at home. I remember watching the servants. They ate pretty well. They wore some nice clothes. They lived in some nice places. Look where I'm living. And he compared where he was to what he knew. And he decided it's worth a walk back. And he went back home. Remember, this is a hungry man who's going to make a long trip with no money. 
but he decided to do it. Your role in the body of Christ is not to bring condemnation. It's not to point out the sin. Your role is not to put your stamp of approval in the sin. You say, you know what? You can live that way if you want. No, if they ask you about it, it says, you know that way's wrong. Why are you asking me these questions? Don't treat them as stupid. You know that's not right to do. Why are you asking me about this? Put it back on them. And they want to say, well, God led me into this. Really? Is that where you're going to go? You know better than that. Don't treat them as stupid. Don't treat them like they don't know what the Word of God says. They know what the Word of God They're a son. They're a mature one. But they're in a different role in it now. Now, pray to God. Talk to God. How, do I, how can I help that person see the light? Because that's your role, to bring the light in. It's not to point out the darkness. It's to bring in the light. If you bring the light in, it will spotlight the things that are there. If you bring the light in, you are the light bringers. You're God's lighthouses. If you just come in and sit down, sinners should understand, man, I am in sin. <laughs> things are, are, not, are not going well here. And they'll gravitate to the to light, just like they did with Jesus. They will gravitate. But you've got to talk about light. Not sin. Light. Point them to the light. Point them to the love side of God. That's the justice side. These people will sit on the side of the road and say, you know, the end is near. You're going to die and go to hell. They're not winning people over. We're not helping people out. We aren't going to help them pointing to the justice side of God. We're going to help them by pointing to the fact that God is love. God loves you. Not that God loves you despite all your things and God's going to take you to heaven even though you are a sinner. That's not right. But our relationship, don't feel condemned. See, the devil wants to get you into condemnation. He wants to make you feel like if you just, if you go over there and you have dinner with them, you are going to be condoning their lifestyle. Who did Jesus have dinner with? Whose house did Jesus go over? Guy in the tree. Who did he let clean his feet with her tears? What did the people at the table say? This man was truly a prophet. He would know that this woman, what she what she's been involved with. He wouldn't be letting her clean his feet. And what did Jesus say to them? You know, when I came into your house, you didn't offer me any water to clean my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears. I told him a parable. He says, who do you think Love is a master more, the one who is forgiven much, or the one who has been forgiven little. He answered and said, the one who is forgiven much. He said, you answered right. What he's saying is, this woman realizes she was forgiven of much. You think you've been forgiven of little. She loves God more. Bring people to the love side of God and let God deal with it from there. You don't have to sit around and point out you're a drunkard, you're a fornicator, you're an adulterer. But if people are involved in habitual lifestyle sins, 
We don't use them in ministry because they have cut off the Spirit of God from speaking to them. And if they've cut off the Spirit of God from speaking to them, how can they minister by the Spirit of God? Can't, because they've cut off. I'm not hearing from the Spirit of God because I've determined the Spirit of God is not saying that. I can be drunk. I can be gay. I can be whatever it might be. And God's in it. No, we can't use those folks in ministry. They can be in the church. You know, what, we've talked about it before, but what would we do if a gay couple came here in the church? Well, I'd let them come to church. But if they wanted to act like a gay couple in church, mm-hmm. I'd be tapping them on the shoulder, pulling them on the side. I said, hey, you want to come into church? You need the gospel more than anybody does. Something along those lines. But we don't have heterosexual couples acting like that in church. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have you either. No, we can draw the line. Can't be having that kind of stuff going. But if we do not approach people in the number one trait that we think that God has, how are we going to win them over? Now, Jesus spoke the truth to some people. Remember the Pharisees? Well, all people, but Pharisees, they're caught up in a sin, and the darkness was all about them. And when they were not hearing the first things that he was saying, he began to pointedly talk to them about it because they were not hearing it. There may come a time that God may say, you need to call that person out in this thing, just like David was called out. We did have that question last week on the thing. You know, why did God bless David and Bathsheba with Solomon? There is a rumor going around in the Christian circles that God did it because he lost the first son. That is wrong. And it states it right in Scripture why why Solomon came. I called it up on my phone, so I would have it for you for you. <clears throat> this is a little bit graphic. In Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, this is after the death of the first son, and went into her and lay with her so that she bore a son and called his name Solomon. Why did Solomon come? Because they acted like a husband and wife. Mm-hmm. That's why Solomon came. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the scripture right there, folks. That's what it is. It's not because God said, hey, you lost that one. I'm going to bless you with another one. I believe that a couple other ones after that. And you know why? Because <laughs> they acted like husband and wife. That's what it was. Point people to the love set of God. If they refuse that, there is the mercy of God they can fall back on. But if they refuse that, they will, be enc- they will encounter the justice side of God. You don't have to introduce people to that. They'll get introduced to it on their own. But we're talking about sons, Christians who follow after God, who know the truth and have departed it and how we're going to deal with them. So I think we still have some more to get into uh, with Paul's writings and bring some more clarity to this. But we can end this part of it here right now because I'm, yeah, wow, we were a lot more over than I thought we were. Do you still have blanks? We are not God nor the heart of the person in sin. So stop assuming a role you don't have. You are not their heart. It is their heart that brings them into condemnation. Would you, be, would you want to be around people who condemned you? So if we keep condemning believers who are in sin, they're not going to hang around you. If they don't hang around you, they're not going to hear the truth. They're not going to see the light. 
doesn't mean that you put your stamp of approval on, on the thing. They bring it up. And you can, you can call it what it is. They'll stop bringing it up in front of you. And the other one, <clears throat> 4C, and yet who hung around Jesus? Sinners. So how would you greet the prodigal son? If you were the father, how would you have greeted the prodigal son? And if how you would greet him differs at all from the father, then your heart is not the father's. How would you have looked at his absence? And I put this in your outline for you. Maintain the heart of the father with sin and sinners. The heart of the father is one way towards sinners and another way towards sin. You maintain the heart of the father in both. The heart of the father doesn't hate sin. But the heart of the father towards sinners is different. And it's not always the same. It's not always that God greets all sinners with love and acceptance and all this sort of stuff. Not exactly the way that it goes. And you see a lot more of that in Paul's, Paul's writings. But we'll get more into that as we, uh, as we go on here. All right. Well, we have some questions. I have a presentation to do too for Jeremy. Jeremy, we have a, a Bible we're sending you off to college here with that we wanted to, to do. But you don't have to leave you have to leave right away? It's almost nine o'clock. All right. Questions? Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between the son and the thief in the corn, is that the habitual sin versus... The sheep in the coin doesn't really talk about what sin. It just talks about them wandering off. They're wandering off from the fold. They're wandering off from the church. They're wandering off. doesn't really say what they're wandering from. The son is more pointed. He's leaving the family. He's going after prodigal living. He's going after a lifestyle that's different that's against what the father wants. That's what we know about the son. We don't know about that sheep. We don't know about that with the coin. But he's the mature one. He is the one who is the son. And he's the one we don't pursue. But the one with the coin, you said it, and is how I heard it taught, is that the church mishandled yep. the coin, meaning that they, are, they hurt someone, they did something to someone, you know, whatever. But the church mishandles and the coin gets lost because of that mishandling. Right. They also make it a good point is that they're mishandling it, right? They are. So is the son, he was the, the habitual sinner of the family. Yeah, he, he adopted a lifestyle of sin in which he was not repenting in between that he, this is the way I'm going to go, this is the way I'm going to live, and I don't care if you don't like it. So he's got a habitual lifestyle choice. He's a mature one. That's the main reason you don't pursue him. He's mature. He has a spirit on the inside of him that is from God. If he is not going to listen to that, he's not going to listen to you. Yeah, we, like I said, I haven't t- touched uh, all of Paul's stuff in here yet. But what we're looking at there is not necessarily a habitual sin. We're looking at somebody who's picked up a sin. Don't you go to them before it becomes a habitual We're looking at somebody doing something that is sin that more than likely they are not aware of. 
with Paul. With Paul, Paul is talking about if you see your brother or sister in sin, go to them. You need to bring them to the light that this is sin. And then that they, oh, I didn't realize that was sin. I didn't know that was in the Word. Ah, oh, I can't believe I've... And then they bring into that light. If they say, I don't care if that is, I'm going to do this anyway. And then you have some other steps to... to t- yeah, now we're talking about something different. Because we're not always aware of certain things being sin. Um, and that's what Paul's talking about right there. Okay, I see two things here. When you're talking about the, the, the um, tax collectors and the sinners, okay, I see them as not born again. They haven't accepted Christ yet. They're drawn to Jesus. That's why they want to be around him. I see somebody who is a believer, has given their heart to the Lord, who they don't want to be around that because it's going to convict them. Oh, there's no one said thing. There's people who have picked up a habitual sin, a lifestyle sin, and still go to church. Sure. But I still see them as not... A lot of them who pick up a habitual sin, a lifestyle sin, that once they pick it up, they stop going to church. Not always. Or else they find a church that's ex- that will accept them for their lifestyle choice. So I'm... I'm a gay person. I want to bring my gay partner along. We want to go to church together. And we want a church that accepts the gay lifestyle. In fact, they embrace the gay lifestyle. And they'll say, we will marry people that are gay. Okay. But back down to Paul. Mm-hmm. He was tough. Yeah. Especially when it came to sexual sin. He drew a line and said, he flat out said, put him out. We'll get into this next week on it when we look at Paul. You can't keep doing that to me. Did I say at the beginning we're not getting into Paul's teaching tonight? We're getting into Jesus' teaching? Didn't I say that at the beginning? Didn't I say that at the beginning of the whole thing? I said, Paul is not targeting sexual sins, but there is a particular sin he is targeting. And that is why it leads to get them out of the church. Wait, wait, say that again? Paul is not targeting sexual sins. He is targeting a certain sin. And that is why he says get them out of the church. Okay. But when he says, right here, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Mm-hmm. He goes on again. But now I've written to you not to keep company or associate with anyone named a brother, not a sinner, but a brother, mm-hmm. who is, and then he names all these things, is not even to have such a, not even to eat with such a person. That's hard. Mm-hmm. That's not sexual sin. There's a reason for why he says this. We'll get into it next time. But it takes, you have to lay out all of Paul's teaching. <clears throat> it's 9 o'clock, and it took me that long to get through Jesus' teaching on this thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. totally separate on the fact that there are sinners who haven't known the Lord and sinners who do. And I still think there's a way that, that you, there's a difference. There is a difference in how you treat people who are believers. Yep. Who are but we have got to have the heart of God. 
The enemy wants us to adopt a wrong heart that emphasizes the wrong parts of the Father because that portrays a wrong image to the world and a wrong image to those in sin. And if he can accomplish that, and if he can do that, then he will create a barrier between those fallen believers or those in the world who will say, I will never come to that. Because we must have the heart of the Father. That's why we looked over Jesus, because Jesus shows us the heart of the Father. Once we understand the heart of the Father, we can get into Paul's teaching, because Paul's doing it too, but Paul's doing it from a different, a different area, different wavelength. And uh, it still it ties in with what Jesus is doing, but you've got to understand Jesus first, because Jesus gives you the heart of the Father. Paul shows you the heart of the Father in action, in the, in the world. But if you don't have the heart of the Father first, then you're going to come out like a, you come out like the Pharisees. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The Word of God says we should stone her. What do you say? Right. That's what you're going to get. Right. But what they didn't understand when they lambasted Jesus about her washing his feet was she'd already repented. So in his eyes, she was no longer that prostitute. They saw her as a sinner, like the brother. They saw her that. Mm-hmm. Like the brother. Like the brother. They were coming from the brother's the standpoint. Brother. They didn't have the heart of the Father. Didn't have the heart of the Father. You've got to have the heart of the Father when you're dealing with sinners, when you're dealing with people in the world. If we leave the heart of the Father, then we are projecting a wrong image and we will not win them over, nor will sinners come around us. So are you going to get into next week this whole thing about judging the church? Judging oh, the we can get a, that's, Paul's, that's Paul's teaching on it. But I don't think you can embrace Paul's teaching until you understand what Jesus has taught and what Jesus has demonstrated. It's an uh, yeah, well, not everybody who gets mishandled by the church is at the fault of the church. Sometimes it's the fault of themselves because they heard something, did something, whatever it might be. And so he doesn't even get into who was at fault. All that mattered is, let's get them back. And let's bring them back on, get them back in there. And, and that's what they did. Uh, you're dealing with, again, you're dealing with one who's not as mature. And uh, unmature believers can get offended at a lot of things. The music was too loud. Um, pastor preached on the wrong thing. I Surely it is. Yeah. I still wandered off. God still says, go out there and get them. Those things aren't in the story. I'm just trying to throw things into the story. Wait, wait Are you saying go after them if they leave the church and go to another church or go after them if they leave the church and don't go anywhere? Well, you don't know that they left the church and go to another church until you go after them. If you find out they left this church, we're going over here, we're growing, we're doing good, not oh, fine. You still got to go after them and, and find out. So back to your earlier point. Yeah. Between the lost son that came from the single son, you know, that because of how old he was, mm-hmm. as opposed to the sheep who known the sheep, he's immature, you know, he wandered off and just didn't follow the sheep around. Um, so wrong, but essentially what you're saying is that we pursue the, the 
from the shore, but not from the shore because the father didn't go after the son. He 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 sat back and waited to come back home for and with the kid, but he didn't go sh- he didn't go look for him. Mm-hmm. Went to the shepherd. He went and looked for him before him. The immature do not know the voice of the Father yet. They don't know how to distinguish the voice of the Spirit from all the spirits that are out there. So yeah, you need to go out there and you need to pursue them. A mature one, in order to get to that place of maturity, you've had to learn that distinction. You know the voice of the Father and you've swallowed another voice. Which has happened, how many times have we seen this happen? Mature believers should know better, are doing things they shouldn't do. You, you know that inside of them, the Holy Spirit has talked to them about this thing and they have refused to listen. If they refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit, why are they going to listen to you? Until they are ready to listen, they will not hear it. He came to himself and said, now he's ready to hear what the Father has to say. He doesn't argue with the father when the father says put a ring on him, put a robe on him, kill the fat. He doesn't argue with him. He's listening to what the father has to say. But before he would have, he would have uh, not, not listened to that. What you're dealing with with mature people is they feel like they know enough about God and they know more than you. The sheep don't necessarily know what they're doing is wrong. They're just wandering around. I, I, don't, I thought I was with everybody. I looked up there and everybody's gone. <laughs> but the mature one knows where they're going. Mature one, it's a deliberate, I want my money. I'm going here. I'm going away from the Father. I'm going out of the Father's jurisdiction. I'm going away from the Father's sight. It's purposeful. The son? No, he knows what he's doing he shouldn't do. That's why he's leaving the father. If he wanted to just live like that, he could have stayed at home and done it, but he knows this is against the father's will. This is against what the father has taught me to do. If I'm going to live like this, I need to leave the father's presence, get away from the father's jurisdiction, and go into a far country and be able to do this. Because I know it's wrong. But I'm not hearing the voice that will tell me it's wrong because I think it's right and I want to do it. And that's what you reach with that's what you reach with mature believers. Mature believers think they know enough about God, they know more than you do, and therefore you cannot speak to them. Right. And until they get to a place where you they are ready to hear, you can't speak to them anyway. And also I think, Pastor, they're leaning to the mercy side. They're like he He's not going to take me to task on this. I'm going to lean on his mercy, and I'm going to count on his mercy to cover me and to keep me till I come to my senses. You'll probably find some that are like that, but you're going to find others who feel like you are wrong. This is okay behavior because I have determined that it is. Let me put it to you this way. When it was happening to me, uh-huh. I was leaning on the mercy side going... Like I said, I'm not saying that they're all not doing that. That's what I'm saying. I... From personal experience, I was like, I know this is wrong. 
I'm going to continue along this line and God continued to go, we need, we are talking about this. It, it was, it was almost a daily conversation and I was like, Lord, I'm just going to keep doing it. And in that state, if a believer were to come and talk to you about it, what would you have done? I would have told him, I know this is wrong and I'm working on it. I'm trying, I'm working on it. Until finally, like you said, the son came to themselves and I was like, okay, I've had enough. All right, if you had that attitude, then you weren't quite in the situation of the son. Yeah, I knew I wasn't quite there. I wasn't, I hadn't quite crossed okay. over yeah. kind of thing. Well, we're talking about mostly is people who have, I want this lifestyle. This lifestyle is okay. Other people are telling me it's wrong. But I know it's okay, and I'm going to do this every single day, and I'm going to live this way, and no one else can tell me anything different. And that's not where you were at on that. You had something. Aha. Paul helps us out with that. Well, I mean, Paul, Paul does. Paul gives us a lot of this in the, in the everyday lifestyle situation. How do I live with other people that are in this? Right, but the, the hard part comes in, and I, I'm feeling where you're going on this. You can't avoid those you, situations. You're there, and I'm here, and that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's like there's no talk. There, what do you, the weather? Plus, plus, it's like that, that spirit in you just rises up. And, and you, you either get totally repulsed and disgusted, depending on what the situation is, or, or you're, you get angry that it's happening. Mm-hmm. So you still have I mean, to keep this part of the problem. But what I'm saying is it's that, that righteous indignation is like the devil's got you exactly where he wants you, and you don't even see it. Yep. Unbelievers are more interested in the things of God than you think. Even mature believers still have an interest. They, they still have an interest in the things of God. I don't have an interest in you telling me that my lifestyle that I have embraced is wrong, but they still have an interest in the things of God. This is the thing you understand about these mature believers. They used to have an in with God where God would speak to them and give them revelation. You all still have that. God is still speaking to you and giving you revelation. The folks who have picked up this habitual sin are getting cut off from that because they have taken what the Spirit of God is saying in this particular very disastrous area in their life and they are shutting it down. If you purposely shut down the Spirit of God in an area, you have quenched the Spirit of God. So He cannot speak anything to you. So you are not getting that light coming in. But you still crave the light because you have been a child of the light. You've experienced it before. So when you come around and you talk about light, talk about light in other areas. And they'll come around. They'll, they'll want to hear. They may not, I can't let Josiah know that I'm interested in it, but I am really interested in this. I really want to hear what's going on. Paul well Corinthians is Paul's teaching. Um, Galatians is Paul's teaching. These are the, these are the areas that he'll he'll get into. 
And there they stop. We've already looked at a few of the scriptures in this. But <laughs> imagine this. I mean, we say, you know, God's speaking to us. God is always speaking. We're, we're getting light on things. We're getting, you put up something on Facebook about how much fun you're having singing that, that song. That's light, right? Didn't that bring, that bring light into your life? Now picture a day, a week, a month without any of that ever going on. Would, would that affect you? Yeah, you begin to long for it because it's not here anymore. It used to be here. Pick your favorite food. If steak is your favorite food and all of a sudden you are in a world where there is no steak. And, and then somebody comes along and begins to talk about steak. A steak they just had. Oh, I like steak. I haven't had steak and so I would love to have steak. And they begin to talk about I just had one yesterday. Oh, it was so good. It was one of those ribeyes and it was just done just a little bit of pink and all oh, seasoning was just... And you begin to talk about this. You begin to get their appetite up for that. And, but I can't get that from God because it's not coming anymore. This is what we have to realize. The people that are involved in habitual sins do not have the Christian walk that you do. Part of it has been cut off. Just understand that. It's been cut off. They're not getting God speaking to their, their life. You're not getting revelation on a regular basis. It's not coming. And it used to come. So you've got to speak to things that help wake that up. If you always speak to their sin, they shut it down. But if you give them to speak about what God's showing you about heaven, what God has shown you about um, something that you what God has shown you about his nature, what, whatever it might be, and you just begin to talk about it. You know, do sinners, do backslidden Christians feel good about coming to you and talking to them about their, their lifestyle choice, their things that they're doing? I mean, if they're in an adulterous relationship, do they come to you and they talk to you about their adulterous relationship? And you, I don't want to hear about that. Well, if they feel comfortable coming and talking to you about their adulterous relationship, why can't you be comfortable talking to them? You're in a meeting last week. Man, I'll tell you why I got hands laid on me and God healed me. I had this thing going on. I had this meeting and I got caught up in the presence. Of, oh, wow, I have not been caught up in the presence of God like that. And I can't remember the last time when, oh, the Spirit of God was just all about me. I just felt, and you begin to talk about these things. Why can't you talk about that if they can talk about their sin? What is Jesus talking about that the people want to hear? Sinners, people who are caught up, as we put it, in lifestyle sins. What is he talking about? He isn't talking about their sin. He's talking about light. He's talking about the love of God. He's talking about the ministry God sent him on. Maybe he's talking about some of the healings that took place in the meeting before. They want to hear it. There are things that they want to hear. The woman at the well wanted to hear what Jesus was saying. Why? Doesn't even know Jesus. Why did she want to hear? Now we got more to get into next week. Only got one question sent to me at home. Anybody else has any questions yet to have to work on on sending them over to me? But anyway, come on. Yep. She didn't feel condemned about that. 
sound very loving and he said, he said, yeah, well, that's not going that's not going to hurt you either. You would have been offended by that. Right. You know, yeah. you would feel like, oh, now you're reading my mail. And that, that would, yep. would have All right, let's go back to Jesus. Jesus goes over to Zacchaeus' house. He eats dinner. With, they have a nice little conversation. All of a sudden, Zacchaeus gets up and says, what? The thing that a tax collector does is they take money that's not theirs. And he stands up and said, if I've done any of that, I'm going to make good on it. I'm going to give this one back and do this back. But we have nothing in the conversation that Jesus ever brought it up. How did he come to that realization? It's his own heart. His own heart that did it. You see, we feel like we have to be their heart and condemn them. No. All you got to do is light up their spirit to the things of God and their heart will take over in the role it's supposed to have. But they've turned themselves off to it. Just bring, bring up to them how much, how good of God we have. There, and if this is not 100%. I'm not telling you that everybody you do this to is all going to turn around. There are still people going to hell. And some of the people that you know that are taking this, t- this turn are on their way to hell and will make it. They will accomplish it. There are some people who do it. We prefer that they don't, but it is possible that they will. Um, you can't bring them all back, but you can bring some of them back. But the way we're going to do it is the way it shows us in the Word of God, not the way the enemy has motivated the church to go after sinners. It has totally corroded it, and we spend more time focusing on the sin of the sinners instead of the light of the gospel. And we are, it's not our role. Don't take on a role that we were not given. I am not a person's heart to condemn them. That's not even a role the Holy Spirit takes on. The Holy Spirit doesn't take it on. Why in the world am I taking it on? I don't need to condemn them. God has got a system that works. Some people still will go through and they will go to hell. But he's got a system that works. Just let it work. Their heart is set up to receive things from God and say, hey, boy, get ready. <laughs> get it right. Call me boy. He might call you girl or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> he's going to try and straighten me out. He's gonna, my heart is going to say, yo, knock it off. You know you're not supposed to do that. That's not the role of God. God is to bring me into light. My heart will bring me into condemnation. But sometimes my heart will bring me into condemnation that I don't deserve. And I'll go to God and say, God, my heart's condemned me on this. And he says, my word doesn't say that. Oh, good. All right. So we're all right. <laughs> yep. Understand your heart is not perfect. But that's the only thing that's going to bring you into condemnation is your heart. That's what the word of God says. Come here, Jeremy. We've got a new spirit-filled life Bible for you. got your name put on it so nobody over college can take it from you. Amen. <laughs> All right. I wrote a little bit in there, but that's just to, to help you out. One of my favorite Bibles to give away. It has a lot of helps in it that you get from other volumes, all put into, into one. It's got some things in there for uh, historical stuff and some things in there about the Greek words and some things in there about being spirit-filled. That, that's, that's all in there. It's all good. It's, a, it's the one we give pretty much to everybody who goes away. And it is in the New King James Version, which is my personal favorite. There are other ones out there that are good, but that's my personal favorite. That is my main study Bible is the New King James. So 
You leave tomorrow? What time? Uh, 10. 10 a.m.? That's not bad. All right. We'll be in prayer for you. And we know that you're going to hear many things from, from God on this. So make sure you drop us some lines and drop some contact. <laughs> All right.